And I have the privilege and the honor, uh, come on up here. This is his uh, debut run, or first run, on, <laughs> inaugural run in, uh, as, a, as speaking today. So would you give a, a great warm welcome to Aaron Lovell. Wow. I'm usually back there. I know what every one of your back of your heads looks like, but not your eyes. It's a little different, a little different up here. Well, happy Father's Day. Um, if you are a dad and you're able, can you please uh, stand up? Just like to thank you all, all dads. Thank you. It's a big responsibility. Um, my dad is watching this morning online. Hi, Dad. He wanted to, uh, he wanted to be here, uh, but if you know anything about him, for the past well over a year, he's been going through a cancer battle and surgeries, chemos, all that stuff. So he's at home right now, but he is watching. So if you would, with me, uh, Adam, if you want to turn the audience mic up a little bit, um, on the count of three, I'd like everybody to say hi to him. So when I say three, say hi, Papa Lovell. Can we do that? Okay, one, two, three. Hi, Papa Lovell. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you to all the dads. Uh, I, for one, I'm excited to be up here. This is uh, a first, first for me. Like I said, I'm usually back there. Um, I'm excited, but don't let Melinda hear you say that. She's been trying for a long time to get me to give a message, and I don't do it because, I don't know. I don't know why I don't do it. Um, I keep coming up with, this, with excuses, but she, uh, I got voluntold this time. So it, it's happening. Um, we're going to have a good time this morning. And there's no better place to have a good time than church, right? So uh, I'm going to open in prayer, and we'll get the ball rolling. So Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for today, for this opportunity. I pray that uh, you would speak through me and all the prayer that's gone into this message and that I've really felt even just this morning um, with all the, all the prayers, hands being laid on me. It's a special feeling, um, so I just thank you for that. And I just uh, I thank you for all the dads all the families, uh, the leadership that they provide, and uh, just ask your blessing on the service and on today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, big question. Why me for the Father's Day message? I'm not a father. We don't have any kids. Uh, we have dogs and cats. I'm a, I'm a dad to them. I get home from work, and Melinda's like, Dad's home. They run up on the window. Uh, we had two foster kids from October 2021 through March 2022, and that was quite the experience. That was like throwing right into the deep end of the pool. But other than that, I have no father experience. But regardless of that, today is a special day for dads. Dads like tools, cars, sports, food. Food's a big one. I'm not a dad, but I, I love me some food. Lots of food. Uh, just a couple Saturdays ago, uh, we went down to Grand Rapids 
to, for a combined birth party for Melinda's mom and sister, and there's always a lot of food when the family gets together. And just to put things into perspective, I had two steaks. I had four helpings of bacon, mac, and cheese. I had a loaded baked potato. I had two helpings of peach cobbler and an oversized serving of banana pudding. Dad approved. <laughs> Dad approved. An hour later, I looked at Melinda and I was like, kind of hungry again. <laughs> When we had the foster kids, she was worried about our finances because we were buying food for them on top of all the food that I eat. Um, but yeah, I have no experience being a father other than when we had our foster kids. I had no idea what I was doing as a, uh, a foster father or a, a father figure. Uh, I have a dad. He's an awesome dad. He's a role model for me and somebody that I look up to and... He made it look easy, but when we had the foster kids, it was like, eh, this is not really that easy. So again, my limited five-month window of experience being a father, why should I be the one up here giving the Father's Day message? This question puzzled me. It really got inside my head. It had me laying awake at night in the, you know, the months leading up to this as I was preparing for this message. Why me? And then one day it hit me. I knew why I was called and told and voluntold to give the Father's Day message. It's because I have great dad jokes. <laughs> what Father's Day message would be complete without a couple of dad jokes? Bible dad jokes, okay? Dad joke number one, what time of day was Adam created? The Bible was very specific that it must have been mid-afternoon because Adam was created just before Eve. <laughs> Dad joke number two. Who is the best babysitter in the Bible? David. David literally rocked Goliath to sleep. <laughs> Dad joke number three. There's only four of them. Why didn't Noah do any fishing while he was on the ark? He only had two worms and he wasn't allowed to use them. <laughs> and dad joke number four, what is the difference between Jesus and pizza? Unlike pizza, Jesus cannot be topped. <laughs> The kids in Melinda's J-High class, they enjoy my, my dad jokes. When I get to hang out with them during a youth event or something, um, there's usually a lot of, what is he doing? What's he doing now? Lots of eye rolling, face palms. But I just love, love having fun with the kids. Um, it was great when we had our foster kids. Uh, I was a constant nervous train wreck all the time because they weren't our kids, but... They were in our house, and they were, we acted like they were our kids. We cared for them as if they were our kids. Those five months really uh, expedited the gray hairs that I have. <laughs> I even had a, a co-worker at work the other day that I took my hard hat off, and he's like, you really got some salt and pepper going on. I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. Salt and pepper goes with food, and I'm very well known for eating a lot, so 
just goes with the uh, territory. When we had him, Riker was four, and he was old enough to understand some of what was going on. He did not call us mom and dad. Instead, he, he did call us Aaron and Melinda. Everly, on the other hand, she was two, and even though she knew that we weren't her mom and dad, she still called us mom and dad. Uh, coming home to a loud house full of uh, kids' activities and uh, Lego minefields um, was different than the normal peace and quiet I was used to. The kids were always excited when I'd get home and walk in the front door, and of course, same thing with the dogs. Melinda would be like, Dad's home or Aaron's home or whatever, and then I'd get in the door and Everly would be like, come show me what you did and what, what I did, and then Riker would be like, oh, come play cards with me, and then it was like, ah, 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 what do I do? Just do the best that I could do. Amen. It was something special about being a father to them and being a role model and a caretaker to them for five months. I got to experience what I consider a very tremendous responsibility from God. That's what fatherhood is. I do get to be a fun uncle. A couple months ago, Melinda's uh, sister Sam had a little boy, Dominic, and he was born a little bit early, so for a couple of weeks they had him in the uh, intensive care unit. Uh, Nick, Nick you? The Nick you. And uh, we went down there to visit, and um, uh, Haley, one of Sam's daughters, uh, she comes up and she says, guess what, Uncle Geek? That is my name, Uncle Geek. <laughs> what does that tell you about me? But um, Haley came up and she said, guess what, Uncle Geek? She said, we went to the hospital earlier and we got to see my baby brother. And I was like, no, you didn't. You went to the hospital and you saw my new nephew. And she goes, no, it was my new baby brother. <laughs> so I just like having fun with him. I like to think I would have been a good dad. Even though I never had a child that was my own flesh and blood, I still get to be a father figure to kids. I get the opportunity to be the not-so-adultish adult at some of the youth group events. <laughs> Just ask Melinda. Uh, sometimes she ha has a harder time getting me to listen than she does to kids. Uh, we went to, uh, last summer, we went to Avalanche Bay Waterport Park in, uh, in Boyne. <laughs> and uh, we got there a little early, and so the doors weren't open yet. So um, there's Melinda and a group of girls. We're just walking around the grounds, killing time. And uh, about 20 feet or so behind, uh, Mikey and I were just kind of hanging out. All the girls there, Mikey and I back here, girls, guys, doing our thing. And at one point, I was like, let's just, you know, stop walking and see how long it takes for them to realize we're not right behind them anymore. And they got a good 100 yards or so ahead of us. And uh, then all of a sudden, Melinda turns around. And when she did, I looked at Mikey, and I was like, run! And we <laughs> took off back the other way. Melinda, <laughs> this was just a week and two days ago. So it was Friday before last. Melinda set up a game night for the youth and uh, I ended up playing football with the boys because they were, they were short a guy on one team. And I don't know if it was a tackle, if I tackled or I got tackled, or it was the fumble recovery that I was on the bottom of because I jumped on the ball. But for the past nine days, 
I've had rib pain. <laughs> Melinda's like, you're not as young as they are. I was like, I know, I feel it. <laughs> it hurts. I went to the chiropractor and he's like, you might have like dislocated or popped a rib out of spot. And it's like, you think? <laughs> I get to go back tomorrow and see what he says. But uh, I did recover the fumble. Amen. I got it. Emerged victorious. Back in uh, 2014, Melinda was an after-school nanny to a young boy, I think 11 or 12, somewhere in there, named TJ. And this one day after school, uh, he didn't come to the house. Uh, he wasn't at the school. He wasn't at the library. He wasn't anywhere that he should have been. Turns out, he went to the basketball court at the park in town and was playing with some of his buddies. Perfectly fine if he would have told Melinda. Melinda's freaking out because she can't find him. Doesn't know where he's at. And when he finally showed up, she was so upset that she couldn't talk to him. Not an angry upset, but more like a scared for his safety upset because she's caring for him after school for a few hours. So she goes out back to calm down, and I took that opportunity to talk to him. And I was very stern with him, but I was also caring. And I explained to him that what he did and how he made her feel that that's not okay. And without me telling him to do so, he went and found Melinda, and he gave her a hug, and they talked it out. Later on that day, Melinda told me that she thinks I would make a really good dad someday. So not being a father, but being a father figure, I would say that's still being a father, still being a dad. So even if you don't have kids of your own, but you're the fun uncle, or you're in like big brother, big sister type thing, where you're caring for someone else, that's still, you're still maintaining those same responsibilities of a father. It's still a big deal. It's not a job to be taken lightly. Who else does that remind you of? A father figure that lets you make your own decisions. But yet, because of your learning and your relationship with him, somehow you still know when you may have gone too far, you might need a little discipline, some reminding of you know, getting back in line. You hear a voice in the back of your head reminding you that what you're doing is probably not the right thing to do. I hope you're thinking of God. God is the father figure of all father figures. He is our heavenly father. Did you know that Jesus refers to God as his Father, our Father, over 150 times alone in the New Testament, just in his teachings and parables? This is my opinion. I must say, no doubt, countless more times than just what's written in the New Testament. This verse in John kind of proves that, John 21, 25. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Just trying to wrap your mind around that. The world itself, the entirety of the world, could not contain the amount of literature that would have been written had everything that Jesus done been written down. That's a lot. Today we pray and we openly talk about God as our Father. It's how we think of God. 
We have countless songs about it. We just sang Good, Good Father a few minutes ago. We have a special relationship with him, and we use the word father as a special term of affection. I know a lot of people that will actually use the term dad or daddy in their prayer time because it's, it's such a special word to them. Roger didn't know I had that in here, and at the closing of worship, he says, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. It's so special. It's such an intimate meaning behind it. So then it could be difficult for us to put ourselves in the time period of Jesus' teaching when the word Father was used differently than it is today. I found this article titled, God is Father, from the gospelcoalition.org, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's kind of a long article, but I do want to read a little snippet. Talking about referring to God as Father, it says, Christians today take it for granted that God is our Father, but few people stop to think what this name really means. We know Jesus taught his disciples to pray our Father, and that the Aramaic word Abba is one of the few that Jesus used. Nowadays, hardly anybody finds this strange And many people are surprised to discover that the Jews of Jesus' day, and even his own disciples, were puzzled by his teaching. This is because the deeper meaning and the wider implications of the term father are largely unknown today. The name is so widespread and generally accepted that we no longer question its deeper-rooted meaning. I want to pause there for a minute from talking about fathers, and I want to go into a little history lesson sort of on the word love, then we'll circle back to Father. Kind of like a roundabout. I hate roundabouts. Yeah, I think it would be fun to get a lot of speed in a roundabout, just fast enough to where you're not tearing your car up, but you're going just in the circle fast enough and that nobody is able to enter because you're going too fast and just back traffic up in every direction. I think that'd be kind of fun, but I don't know. Um, so love. I love my wife. I love my family. I love my church family. You guys are great. And I love God. Would it surprise you to know that I just mentioned four different types of love? Eros, storge, philia, and agape. Eros love. Eros love is a deep, intimate type of love strictly reserved for marriage. It's just for a husband and wife. You can't love your kids the way, same way you love your, your spouse. Storge, this is a family love. This is the bond that naturally develops between parents and their children and brothers and sisters. I'd take a bullet from my kid. That's Storge. Crying as you drive away from dropping your kid off at college. That's Sorge love. <laughs> Letting your two-year-old foster kid paint your fingernails and most of your fingertips. <laughs> Storge love. Philia. This is the strong emotional bond seen in deep friendships. This is the most general type of love in Scripture, encompassing love for fellow humans, care, respect, and compassion for people in need. Jesus actually talked about philia love, and he said it would be an identifier of his followers. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's philia love is the love that he's talking about. Then we come to agape. This is the most famous love type in the Bible. 
it, de- it defines God's immeasurable, incomparable love for humankind. I'm going to change the wording and say it again. It is God's immeasurable, incomparable love for you. Agape love is perfect, unconditional, sacrificial, and pure. Now, I want you to say this if you're listening online. I want you to say this to somebody in the room too. God's love for me is immeasurable. Immeasurable. You can't put a value on it. You can't put a distance or a depth or a volume on it. It's too big. Following his resurrection, Jesus asked the apostle Peter if he loved him. Peter replied three times that he did. But the word that Peter was talking about was philia love. It was brotherly love. Peter had not yet received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, so he was incapable of the agape love at that point. But after Pentecost, Peter was so full of God's agape love that he spoke from his heart, and 3,000 people were saved. So after this, you can see that I love my wife and I love pizza use the same word love, but they have very different meanings. Back to the roundabout. This is very similar to the word father we use now compared to when Jesus used it speaking of God, speaking of his Abba. There's a deeper, different meaning. We just, heavenly father, good, good father. But there's a deeper meaning behind it. And that's what that other article was about that I read earlier. Um, Jesus had a unique way of teaching his followers. The Bible calls them parables. In a nutshell, a parable is a story that provokes and inspires critical thinking in the mind of the listener. Stories that the average follower can relate to. One of the parables Jesus taught, where the topic was an example of a father's relationship, was the story of the prodigal son. This is a very powerful parable, not to mention one of the more popular parables. Let me say that five times fast. Popular parable, popular parable. <laughs> it's a story of redemption, it's a story of forgiveness, and it's a story of love. So I want to read the whole passage, and then we'll break it apart. So Luke 15, starting in verse 11. Jesus continued. So Jesus had already been teaching a lot that day. And uh, if you go back, I encourage you to go back and read all of chapter 15. I'm just reading verses 11 through 24. There's more before and after. Go and read it. The first, he's got two parables before this one. Uh, One of them is about the parable of the lost sheep, and the other one is the parable of the lost coin. Um, But anyway, he's been teaching a lot. So Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed the pigs. 
He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. I want to give a little disclaimer. I know this is just a parable. This is just a story Jesus used to inspire critical thinking and maybe an eye-opening moment in the listener. But I want to pick it apart as if it was actually a real story. I was One of the times I was reading this to Melinda, she kind of squints her eyes and she's like, you know this is just a story, right? I was like, I know, but I want to pick it apart like it's something real. <laughs> so with that being said, verse 12. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Can you imagine how hurt the father must have been? What a punch in the gut to the father for his son to ask for his inheritance. What I mean is, when does someone typically typically get their inheritance after the father dies. The son might as well be saying face to face to his dad, you're dead to me. You mean nothing to me. Can I just have my stuff so I can be on my way? What a, what a punch in the gut. I can't explain it any different. The son believed he could do better on his own. He didn't need guidance or teaching or upbringing from his father anymore. He wanted to experience life to the fullest. So he packed his things and left. Verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth on reckless living, wild living. Webster's Dictionary describes the word squandered to spend extravagantly or foolishly to lose something such as an advantage or opportunity through negligence or inaction. He literally had nothing left in a very short amount of time. He was literally at the point of such desperation that he was looking at the food those pigs were eating and he was like, <laughs> looking pretty good. Maybe get some uh, salt and pepper. Maybe go get some spices. He probably was just like, I just want to eat dirt. He was that hungry. Fast forward to verse 17. When he came to his senses. 
When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. He realized that he needed his father more than he ever did before. And how good his life was when he was in the care of his father. So he decided to swallow his pride and go home. And on his journey back, because remember, he went to a distant country, he starts thinking to himself, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I can only imagine that part, verse 18 and 19, I can only imagine he's, he's already set out for home. He's, he's walking back and he's just on the side of the road. Just, okay, what am I going to say to him? What am I going to say to him? Is he going to accept me back? Is he going to, he's going to hate me? He, I, I know what I've done to him. I just, um, ah, I have sinned against heaven and against you. He's probably like going through the, all these different scenarios in his head, trying to think of what he's going to say, how, how, how his father's going to react. I'm no longer worried that we called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now this story takes an instant shift from the son to the father. And the lesson is revealed to be about redemption and forgiveness. Verse 20. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. I want to stop here and really focus on this part. While the son was still a long way off, the father saw him. This is just my opinion, but I don't think the father just happened to be out mowing the lawn or feeding the chickens and looked up and said, it's about time you come back. Look at that. Hey, servants. Dweeb's back. I think the father loved his son so much that he never stopped watching for him. I like to think he probably had a chair you know, set up outside on the front porch or inside next to the window looking, at, looking down the driveway. And I think at some point or multiple points every single day he was watching for his son. He never gave up hope that his son would one day come back. And when that day finally came, he's like, there he is. He walked out with his arms crossed and said, learned your lesson, didn't you, boy? Well, you best go back because I don't need you anymore. I learned to live without you. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And I think the I like to think the father shushed his son here. Like the son was like, Dad, I'm I screwed up. I'm I'm so sorry. I've put his hand over his mouth, shushed him, didn't want to hear it. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Just like the other song we sang this morning about Lazarus. Dead came back to life. His son was dead and is alive again. I think the father was holding on to this verse. 
Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. This, I think the, the father in the story was hanging on to this verse so much it kind of became his, his life verse. Like he probably had that verse hanging on his wall somewhere. There are lots of verses in the Bible that you could call your life verse. It's just a verse that means something really special to you. You heard it, you heard a passage, that verse was part of the passage, and it was just an eye-opener. It caused you to wake up, and it caused you to come to your senses. Maybe you were the father in this parable, and you had to dig deep to find the forgiveness for your prodigal child. Maybe you're trying to find that forgiveness right now. Maybe you were the prodigal child, I mean, aren't we all prodigal children? Maybe you had to swallow your pride and you went back to your father, your heavenly father. Remember earlier I said Jesus was teaching several parables on that day, one of which was about the prodigal son. The other two written in Luke uh, chapter 15 have similar meanings and similarities. The parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. Uh, again, go home and read the, uh, the whole chapter of Luke 15. I'm going to read the last verse of each of those parables. So Luke 15, 7, the ending of the parable of the lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And then the last verse of the parable of the lost coin, Luke 15, 10, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Do you see a pattern developing here? I would like to do a demonstration. I have asked Mr. Dave Peck to kind of be the front runner on this one. A demonstration of heaven rejoicing when one person comes back to God the Father. So Dave's going to blow his shofar, and then when he blows it, go crazy. Celebrate, get excited, jump up and down, do whatever you want to do for about 20 seconds. Okay? So ready? One, two, three. That was but a teensy, weensy, weensy little glimpse of what heaven is like when one person, son or daughter, prodigal child, comes to their senses and decides to come back to God. So, earthly fathers, make sure your children know how much you care for them, that you'll always be there for them, that you'll always love them, unconditionally. If you've got a prodigal child, reach out to them. Let them know you love them. That's all. I was actually, this idea, this little snippet, came to me this morning um, as I was, you know, reviewing it, going over it one more final time. Um, and it's just, um, Home Alone. 
first home alone, early 90s. Um, Kevin is in the church listening to the, uh, the kids singing. And um, the old man uh, from Shovel in the Snow that was kind of the, the weird guy in the neighborhood, so to speak, um, throughout the movie, he comes and he sits down and they're having a conversation. And at one point, uh, Kevin and, and the, the, the older gentleman, they're like, he's, he says, well, they get to a, uh, talking about his son, the, the old man's son. And he says, well, what if, what if you won't talk to me? And Kevin's like, it's, it's Christmas Eve. It's Christmas time. You got you to gotta call your family and talk to them. And he goes, well, what, we had a disagreement, you know, 20 years ago. What if you won't talk to me? And Kevin's like, you won't, you won't know unless you find out. Right. You know, whatever his wording was. He says, you won't find out unless you, you give him a call. And then we find out at the very end of the movie that there was that call. And the, the, the older man and his son, Kevin's next door neighbors, he looks out the window and you see them and they're hugging. And it's Christmas morning. So they made amends because they thought each other was mad at them. But all they had to do was talk to each other and work it out. I want to list some Bible verses about raising children, and then we'll wrap this up so that you can get to your family, get together, and your cookout, and whatever you got planned for today. I know discipline is a pretty controversial... That's a good word. I know discipline is a pretty controversial thing these days, but I want to say that discipline, proper discipline, is in the Bible. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Even if you believe spanking is wrong and you believe a timeout is the only way to go, just as long as you're teaching discipline, you're teaching there's right and wrong choices and consequences for actions. One of the things that we taught when we had Riker, when we had the foster kids, Riker was four. One of the things that we... We taught him was like, go ahead, make your own choices. But you're going to have consequences for those choices. And occasionally, he'd make a choice that would put him into a, a timeout. Like, not this choice, but the, the choice that led to this choice that led to this choice that led to this choice. And then he'd be in timeout. He'd be sitting in the, the hallway, and we wouldn't let... Everly come up and play with him. He had to sit there alone. And we'd be like, what? What happened? I made a choice. And what do choices have? Consequences. He was four years old and he said it better than I did. <laughs> Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you teach them, right from when you lie down and when you get up. Teach them right from wrong. Train them. Impress it on them. You ever wake up from a really good sleep? You got like, you got wrinkles of the pillow just scrunched and impressed into your face. Maybe you got a little bit of drool down here too impress it on them so that it sticks with them. 
Teach them the parable of the prodigal son. Teach them what the main theme of the parable is. You can never out a father's forgiveness. More importantly, you can never out God's forgiveness. Fathers, dads, never give up on your children. Hang on to Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I like the NIV on that. That was the ESV. I like the NIV. Start children off on the way they should go. Even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Think of teaching your kid to ride a bike. You run alongside them. You're starting with them. And they might fall over. But eventually, you just let go stop running and they take off they get it start them off the way they should go even when they are old they will not turn from it hang on to that verse because it's in the Bible so it has to be true right God's word will not return void it's too powerful when God said let there be light the immediate result that was light. When Jesus said, peace, be still, the wind stopped. It didn't just slowly calm down. I'll take my time, God, but whatever, Jesus. It stopped, and the sea calmed right down. God's word will always prosper, and God will succeed. I want to ask, again, all fathers and father figures, again, to stand. Train up your children in the way they should go. Impress it on them. Never give up on your children. Finally, the most important thing you can do with and for your kids, pray for your children every day. More importantly, pray with your children. Let them see it. Not just hear it, but see it. Dads, father figures, men of God, make it known just how much you storge love them. Make it known just how much God, agape, loves them. John 3.16, for God so agape loved you. God so immeasurably, without limits, loved you that he gave his only begotten son. Agape love from a father. Perfect, unconditional, sacrificial and pure. This world could use a little more of that, don't you think? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just come before you today and we thank you for being the Father that we all need, the ultimate Father figure, the ultimate role model. Thank you for giving us Jesus and the parables, teaching of the prodigal son, a life lesson for all of us. I just uh, lift up everyone today, more particularly 
the dads on this Father's Day. I just thank you for each and every one of them, for the godly men that they are. I just pray that you would give them an awesome day, relaxing day, fun, whatever they've got planned. The weather's nice, just let them go out and enjoy it. And I thank you again for these men. And I thank you for everybody here. I ask your blessing on food and cookouts and whatever, you know, family activities they might have in store later. Keep them safe going to their destinations until we meet again next Sunday. I thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you.